Hi Marvin, how you doing? It's about Simon, how you doing? I'm alright. Uh, did it say 4am? Are you somewhere abroad? No, no, it's just ignore that. <laughs> I'm an old man, I don't get this concept. I've tried to try a new uh, wireless headphone, so hopefully this sounds all right. How's it sound? Sounds good. Sounds I'm, I'm easy either way, so it's cool. all good. <laughs> Cheers. Nice to meet you. Cheers. Is that a shot you're having? Jaegerbom? No. It's, <laughs> did I mention I was old? No, it's red wine. That's how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. Cool. Right. Bear with me. So how's your day? You've been doing much of the bank holiday. Uh, so I, I haven't really been, no, not today. No, I've, I've been, um, mostly listened to a few podcasts, um, arranging things for an event that I've got going on Sunday. I'm running like a heckler's comedy show. Oh, cool. Done. Yeah. And, um, I've been you stand well, up yourself. Yeah. At the moment, it's a bit of a funny situation at the moment. Okay. So yeah. I was in France, but I, I moved back here because of the virus right but now i'm with the parents because i can't afford any rent <laughs> absolutely did i did i see you was, were studying gollier or is, is that where you were yeah had you done that in the wow not with the is the man himself still alive he's just about but sometimes i do question um whether when he sees performances um from me and some others if 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 he wants to kill himself <laughs> <laughs> I've heard lots about it. I mean, it's supposed to be amazing. Did you get stripped to the bone to become funny, or was it not as hardcore as they say? It's quite hardcore, but it could be a lot worse. I mean, <laughs> um, it's 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 at the point where I, I completed the second term and a bit of the first term, but I didn't do the third term, so I I can't say fully. Right. It's a bit like okay. um, what's it called? Who you know that woman that that produced that company and tried to pretend to be um, Steve Jobs. Mm. She was, invented this um, this little uh, Elizabeth Holmes or something. Right. I don't know. I, think, no. I, I can show you on this. She, um, what was it? Stranos. And it was... Okay. Uh, what was her name? Effectively, she created this little um, lizard, yeah, Thranos. It's like this little DNA company where I, I don't know the full details, but it was supposed to be revolutionary and it, like it helped categorize people on their blood type, like cure cancer, stuff like that. Right. And um, it was a complete fraud. And she went and um, <laughs> so she only studied, she dropped out of Stanford. And then, right. um, yeah, and then she went and set up this company and it's been now defunct and she got caught and all that. But the point right. I'm getting at in a long-winded way is, uh, yeah, I, I, I haven't done it fully to right. explain a, a conclusion on it. Okay. 
it's like <laughs> in your field of being a poet it's like yeah. someone saying they've done one poem in front of a live audience and they're now an expert in it oh is that not should i go now in that case <laughs> <laughs> um just sorry i need to remember i'm expecting a phone call my dad's in hospital and I'm waiting to hear from a doctor about a scan that he's had eventually. So if my phone goes, it's the only thing I need to get is talk to a doctor. Hopefully it won't be too long. But yeah, I've, it's been uh, an interesting couple of weeks. But yeah, so I might, if the phone does go, I've put everything else on silent, but I need to uh, just get contact with a doctor, basically. So I'll apologise for that. What's, what's, what's been happening to him? What is your oh, he got, he got COVID. He's up in North London. I'm basically down in Sussex. Um, and he lives in sort of in the family home, what's left of the family home in North London, um, with lots of support. And he um, he got he got COVID basically two weeks ago, and admitted into hospital. And so he's just been. We're trying to remotely get him because we can't go visit. So I've been, um, yeah, just trying to get hold of doctors and stuff like that. So it's been um, challenging couple of weeks. But yeah, we're finally getting to a point where we're going to move him into a home down here. So, but yeah. It's been fun. Oof, well, bloody hell, it must be. Uh, this this thing, it's, it's so many stupid things have gone on. Like people saying, oh, it's not nothing more than a cold. And now people are trying to make it a race thing as well. And then. It's, like, it's, yeah, it's really weird. It's fascinating. My dad's 83 with diabetes. So, you know, he's prime for the picking. Apart from he's. He's white and in North London. He's not, you know, in many ways, it's kind of, you know, he should be relatively safe, but he's old. It's crazy, isn't it? Uh, and, but speaking to lots of doctors, they've just got no idea. They don't have any idea how it affects and what it does and how it resolves itself and it takes ages. I mean, he's been going, getting delirious, basically. And then he gets better and then he gets ill again. And yeah, so yeah, and it's mad. And it seems to affect people differently and worse depending on how rich you are how white you are and how whereabouts you live it's odd yeah no but i don't like i've been watching the news recently and they, it feels like they've been trying to make it a race thing which is complete like like it's not like it's a virus of a brain it's like saying right i want to kill this person that person <laughs> yeah it's just weird isn't it it's just statistics on it which seems to be yeah yeah it's really hard to know anything really because you just don't know whether it's because so, you know you only hear all about in in this country don't i'm just assuming you're in england aren't you so um but yeah you don't when they were talking about sort of bane people getting it worse and then you're going well is that because they're not is that a money situation or a wealth situation or a housing situation or is it just yeah who knows it's just and what's weird is I mean, my dad's going to get moved to a nursing home and he's going to get paid for by the health service until the whole thing's over. So they're going to fund. They're just throwing money to get him out of hospital. So he's going to be put in a nursing home for about three months, which is about 20 grand's worth of home financing. So it's got to be bad if the Tories are spending that much fucking money. (laughs) So, yeah, it's all just crazy. Well, some things I've heard is, have you seen the... The Joe Rogan podcast, where he's interviewing, uh, what's it called? That's someone that focuses on that sort of thing. Right. No, no, no. And he was basically saying that with this virus as a whole, it may not get, it may be this case for 18 months until they find a cure for it. Yes, absolutely. 
Um, oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, and well, they just they haven't got a cure, have they? So, um, and there's just nothing. Yeah, I have no idea how they're going to do it and what they're going to do. I mean, my dad, he got COVID positive reading end of March. No, end of, weren't we in March? No, it was April, so was remote. yeah, end of March. He got went in on the Friday, got the reading on the Sunday, and then he only got his negative reading two days ago. Um, but he's gone up and he's gone down. It's basically his lungs are fucked. <laughs> so, you know, they, they're expecting him to have, like, he had, they think they had the pneumonia, he had the pneumonia, and then they're now looking to see if he's got a clot on his lung, and if not, it might be affecting his heart, and it's just, and you speak to them and they go, we don't know if he'll get it again, we don't know if he'll not give it to anyone else, we don't know how long it's going to take. And it's and no one's that doesn't seem to be anyone's the same at the moment. It's just weird, really crazy. And yet you hear it on the papers, and you hear people kind of going, "Oh, it'll be all right. We're all a bit bored. It's all a bit like a bank holiday." And then you kind of sort of you know, look at it from that perspective, and you go, "I can't go visit my dad." <laughs> and it's if forty thousand people are going to die, that's at least a hundred thousand people mourning who can't go and see them. You know, as soon as my dad went into hospital, my natural reaction was, I'm going to go to hospital, go visit him. And they're like, you can't come visit. Mm. So it's yeah. like, well, and and I was, that first couple of days, it was genuinely, you know, thought he was going to go. And, and you're just thinking, I can't go. My brother lives in France, so he can't come and visit. So you, you can't, and you're going, can you just look after my dad whilst you're in full PPE and hold his hand? It's just, it's good for the poetry. <laughs> the pain the pain absolutely i've had some you know nice dig digging the depths and lots of stuff to try and be positive with it and stuff like that and look for gratefulness and stuff but yeah gratefulness gratitude whatever yeah different poetry the only solace to take from this is that i think things there's a lot of viruses that are more deadly and a lot worse than covid yes and so yeah it could have been a lot worse if one of them sort of <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah now we'll be more prepared over. well the more you hear about that um guardian you seen there was the investigation in, uh, they, they role played it in 2016 didn't they and they just sort of didn't go for recommendations which was get the ppe have the have the facilities jeremy hunt was in charge at the time and jeremy hunt was like oh i tried to get the money and they they haven't they didn't do it so they knew it was going to happen Hmm. Uh, yeah. Hey, it's always good. The Tories will get away with it like a bunch of cockroaches that they are. Oy, making it political now, are we? <laughs> Sorry. I'll try and keep that one under control. Anyway, so what's this for? Uh, well, effectively, I'm just going to be... It's just for my podcast. So I'm going to interview lots of different people, find out what oh. a lot of creatives are doing this time, um, what they plan to do once this is all over, and what got yeah. them into their industry. That's what the book okay. is about. And have you seen the Terminator film? Terminator I have seen yeah, Terminator 2, absolutely. You see that yeah, scene yeah. where Sarah Connor gives um, Arnold Schwarzenegger a bottle and she says, what's your story? <laughs> right. I think everyone's got a story and it's about yeah, fun. Absolutely. Okay, oh, that's interesting. What's the podcast called? Marvin's World. Well, I'm going to write that down. I'll check it out. Sorry for not knowing it i haven't produced it yet it's it's notebook, so designs. 
Oh, okay. Oh, that's all right then. I'm glad. I... Oh, well, no wonder I've not heard of it. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. Wow. But you seem to you seem to be you seem to have an interesting life. Like, so you're a poet. You've been doing it a lot in different pubs across sort of where you're from for yeah five six years something like that. I'm trying to work it out. It's probably yeah six or seven years something like that. Yeah. So I used to, when I was when I was younger, I used to write quite a bit. Um, and then sort of paused for about 10 years and had kids and, you know, had to try to create a career. So I'm, I'm a tree surgeon by trade. Um, so that's how I sort of make money or used to make money. <laughs> and then um, sort of started writing again, probably seven or eight years ago, uh, you know, and then it sort of, you know, I got hooked up with a bunch of musicians who do put on a regular night where I live. Um, and then I was sort of, I would do the links in between, do the poems in between. And then, yeah, we just sort of, it sort of spiraled from there. I sort of lucked into having a book. And then, yeah, there's probably three or four, probably two or three regular gigs a, a month in, in the area that sort of just not paid gigs, but just sort of open, going to a pub. I'm on the sort of list for doing stuff like that. Um, and then weirdly, this was my year, I thought, I was going to actually kind of crack on with doing it, started to go into schools um, and try and sort of work my way into getting paid gigs for it. I've had a few people the last couple of years get me to write poems for them for money. So it's kind of, it felt like, felt like things were getting there this year and then trying to crack on with the second book, which could possibly come out, but I'm not sure people want a generic book about poetry at the moment. I'm not sure if it's going to be, it doesn't feel like the time to be promoting yourself. When I look on, Facebook and Twitter and all these places where people are kind of promoting their latest book coming out. It feels a bit like now's not the time for self-promotion. Mm, yeah, it, it feels, it feels, I've seen a few of these adverts on Facebook and it's very, it comes across as very sharkish, very, yeah. um, you know, they have chicken shops in deprived areas, like scavengers, yeah. like scavengers in a way. And it's, yeah. It, it's, yeah, I, I don't like it. Like there's the one of the most stupid ones was, there was an advert with an Asian looking woman saying, Hey guys, you want some psychology or some sort of therapy or something? This is really great. Like it does this and does that. And yeah, it was ridiculously stupid. Like, you know, I know you want your, my money and I know you think, think I'm stupid, but please. Yeah. yeah. It was just ridiculous. And then there's all these marketing ones as well saying how to make money in the COVID-19 disaster. It's just, yeah. It feels very, um, it feels like the way that you do it is you survive it and you end up with goodwill. You don't sit here and go, oh yeah, I've written this thing. This is brilliant. I'm really poor. I need your money. Uh, you know, because we're all, it's not like everyone's got a sob story now and everyone's got problems and everyone's hunkering down. And actually what you want to do is come out of it with a bit of dignity and not be... Tom, Tim Weatherspoon, who's just sort of trying to make money out of it. And you want to be, you want to be like the businesses that are giving food to people who work in the NHS, the shop restaurants that are just keeping going and just going, I'm paying the staff, I'm doing what I can, I'm getting as much money and I'll just survive. And those are the ones where people will hopefully go back. So yeah, it feels a bit kind of, yeah, it's the, when I, you know, and I do a lot of, mainly most of my stuff now is, is I do a couple of Zoom gigs a month um, and a couple of Discord gigs a month for poetry, but they're just, just to catch up with the other poets and musicians and stuff like that. 
but it's the ones where people are trying to shill their you know sell sell their stuff that just feels wrong i don't know mainly because who's going to spend their money on pointless frivolity when actually all you're trying to do is find the fucking new rolling flour <laughs> yeah it's, it's just it's what is can i ask you a question so yeah what what is the so at the moment your your main focus is just to do the, the obviously it's mostly making sure that your dad's all right yeah everything sorts itself out sorts itself out and um you're just trying to do a lot of poetry gigs just to keep yourself going effectively well yeah i mean i i, I love the performing bit of it i mean i'm i'm a bit of a whore when it comes to that and i love um I've always used to see myself as a performance poet and I think I'm quite good. My background when I was being the creative as a younger person was more sort of acting and I'm very, you know, I'm very good at putting myself out there and I'm kind of, you know, I'm probably, I'm, I'm, I may not be very good, but at least I'm available uh, sort of attitude. <laughs> but I mean, I think I'm very good at playing a crowd. So I really like going to, you know, pubs. We, we do a regular pub group, a regular gig, in a place called Shoreham near where I live, which is a proper spit and sawdust pub that they have musicians and poets on. And you've you've got half the audience. It all sounds like she's on there. I can hear myself. Um, okay, um, sorry about that. So um, yeah, half of the audience are there because they're performers and the other half are drunk people in the pub. And I really like the getting the drunk people on board. So I'm quite good at, you know, uh, going for something that that will get a good or you know, get the audience going so actually zoom gigs are really difficult i think because you're only really performing to other people who are there you very rarely get an audience um so it, it doesn't have as much of a as of the fun of it i like the adrenaline of the performing um, and i like the um i like the fun of being able to you know start a poem by pissing off half the audience and then winning them back with a bit of an emotional oomph and realise that you're, you know, you're, you're taking them on a journey. It's quite difficult to do that when everyone else is muted listening to you, waiting for me to finish so they can unmute to give you an applause because it just feels sort of soulless. So it's quite, quite difficult. So a lot of my stuff now, I'm, I'm doing stuff on Twitter, which is, again, another sort of interesting way of doing stuff. So yeah, you know, and I know there's lots of people writing and there's lots of people talking about it. And I've gone from the start of stuff, writing poems every day and trying to kind of, you know, record the moment uh, to actually going, you know what, if I can do one good poem a week or every two weeks, it's actually worth something, whatever worth is. And, you know, that's probably more important than, you know, I went for a walk today and found some new role. <laughs> Well, it's funny though that you mention that because I find sometimes if you're writing a joke or something, if you do go out somewhere that you've not been before, if you go for a walk or a bit, or just sit in a cafe or something, you tend to get more creative. Yes. Yeah. I think this is a hell of a creative time. I mean, this is the time for for uh, artists to record what's going on because this is unprecedented, and you know it's really important that, that and people are turning to. You know, did you watch the um, late? What was it called? The late review last night, um, and they were doing a bit on poetry last night. And that's quite interesting, talking about poetry in lockdown. And I think this is the time when people turn to poets. You know, 
I wrote a poem ages ago when um, Jeremy Hardy died. And I, you know, the, the way I manage my poems is if I can write something good, if you link it up to the right sort of people on Twitter, it gets, it gets, does quite well. So I wrote a poem about Jeremy Hardy, and then I ended up writing a poem about how I wrote a poem that was really successful. And actually, part of that is the I've written something really emotional, but then I've also written something that's gone quite well. So it turns from kind of you know reflecting society to an ego thing. And I talked about um, the guy at the Grenfell um, Memorial, and there's the the poet up there reading a poem at the memorial service. And part of me thinks, wow, brilliant! What an amazing way that everyone's loving hearing his poems. And then the other part of me is going, fucking hell, I bet that's good for sales. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, it's good publicity. It's good coverage. You know. Yeah, it's it's funny because one thing that was ridiculous during the Grenfell disaster is that people were trying to make money out of it, and like you have people yeah. that were getting these buckets saying, "Oh, I'm from this area; it's going to be used for this and that." And some of them just look very fishy, so I didn't put anything in. But it's just yeah, that, that's the lowest of the low. Come on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think kind of yeah, human nature reverts to bad sometimes, doesn't it? But yeah, it's um. But I think people need it, and I think, yeah, you you know, kind of poets and artists and creators and comics need to be talking about where we are now, and I think that's that's what people need at these times, don't they? Yeah. You know, as well as, obviously, nurses and doctors and people in shops and stuff like that, the important bits. <laughs> what's what's going to happen if they do decide to, because, you know, I mean, the, the restrictions will be lifted probably within a few months or so. I mean, mm. what's going to happen when things let rip? What's going to happen to... Well, it's hard to know, isn't it, really? It's really... I mean, I'm quite lucky. I live in a really nice little quiet town with about 10,000 people in there. So it's not... We, we've been really protected and really kind of... We're all sort of living a sort of bank holiday life. I'm still out and working. I've got a different but a career that I can... Not career, but I've got stuff to keep me out and about. So I kind of... I'm really lucky. But most of my neighbours are all staying at home. You know, living like we're living on the bank holiday, but you know, with this etheric fear of hell that hasn't really touched us because we're out in very low rates. You know, so it's kind of it's hard to know, isn't it? But yeah, hard to know. Whereabouts are you? London, southwest. Which bit? Which bit southwest? Wimbledon. Wimbledon. Okay. Well, I, I grew up in North London and northwest. Ah. So yeah, my dad was whatever's left in the family home is up in Edgeware, top of the Northern line, but yeah. But I mean, that's just a completely different life that, yeah, I left that a long time ago, fortunately, but yeah. I mean, we're, we're so protected that we're not seeing, we're not really seeing the horrors of it. We're just living the lifestyle without, you know, seeing people dying, but yeah. What, what made you decide to move over to, uh, what made you decide to leave London as a whole? Well, I was born there. I mean, I grew up in Brent and Kingsbury around there. And then when I sort of moved away from my folks who lived in Edgware, North London, um, we'd always gone down to the countryside sort of during the summer holidays and Christmas holidays. So I knew Devon really well. So the plan was to move out to the countryside. Um, and I was just in a big house share back in the, back in the nineties, living in big house shares and met, met my partner. And then we, moved down to this place called Stenning, which is just north of Brighton. So it was kind of supposed to be a gateway, a gateway drug into the countryside, but we sort of stayed here and we've just done 
think we're about 18 years down here so yeah it was just we found it it was lovely stayed for a bit got a job had children and then you can't move once you've got kids you're sort of stuck here because you've got friends <laughs> that is that is funny isn't it when you have kids they're, they're like magnets keeping you to a place <laughs> yes absolutely yeah magnets all weight around your ankles but i'm not sure <laughs> is that one of your plans <laughs> uh, no no i try to be positive about them in case they ever read them <laughs> I keep the dark ones, but yeah, <laughs> they don't get to see those. So, one, one thing I find interesting: um, do do you use anything like like the stream of consciousness or like rule of three or anything like that? I don't know. See, I do. I uh, most I because I work outside most of my time. I'm listening to podcasts because otherwise, I you know, the voices would take over. So I do listen to a lot of comedy podcasts. So I started out on sort of goldsmiths and herring and i've been listening to rule of three the last couple of years which i've discovered and stuff like that so yeah i am um, most yeah most of mine i it's sort of i'm allowed to be wanky about it all am i so um yeah they're either they're either the the um the ones i I'm, i don't rhyme i haven't got meter um i haven't got I like the free formness of it. I like a kind of, you know, occasionally I'll try and be funny. It started off when I started off doing it more as a performance stuff. So when I, when I stopped writing for myself and realized I needed to write for an audience, um, I would certainly look at, you know, some of the sort of comedy tropes of stuff, but how, without having really sort of studied it, but you know, um, so most of the stuff I'll spit out quite quickly. I'll sort of, if it's, something's got in my craw and there's been a lot in the last sort of five years, haven't we, that's politically quite agitating. So it's been quite good and I can spit them out. And then once I've spat them out, I'll kind of re-edit and tie them back in uh, and try and kind of create a sort of a bit more stuff. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not very good at fitting it within a format. Yeah. But I'm trying, you know, certainly what, I, what I've been doing the last sort of four, three or four months on Twitter is there's a poet on there who puts a pebble up every day. He takes a pebble, takes a photo at about half six, seven o'clock in the morning. He'll put a pebble up and he, uh, he's called Pebble of the Day. It's called Dean Wilson. He is. He's up in Withensea. So he, he puts the pebble up and he's got Pebble of the Day number and he's up to 293 at the moment and i've been going for about two or three months now and he's got like seven thousand followers so actually what's really interesting is you've got the size of a tweet to try and successfully write a poem that people like so i would every morning i'd wake up and look at that and i'd spend sort of ten five ten minutes and i'd religiously do it every morning and originally i started doing it to be really poety you know, and you could make it really arty. And actually, if you do quite well, one, if you get, you've got to get past him first. So you've got to get a like, and if you're good, you get, you get a retweet. And then they, you've got a, an audience, a pure audience of 7,000 people who are just, you know, he follows 6,000, 7,000 follow him. It's not, there's no, there's no loyalty there and there's no kind of commitment. So it's been really interesting to kind of go, okay, well, this morning I'm going to write one that people will like, as opposed to one that I think is really clever one that's really good so you can write a poetry one and you'll get you know one if you're lucky a couple of retweets and if you know five or ten likes but you can do a if you do a really funny one you can or an inspiring one and inspiring ones are the really good ones to do now because people are looking for inspiration i suppose um but you can do a you do a funny one now and 
so it, it does help i'm in sort of learning to write not commercially in in any way that you know in a popular way which is quite interesting so yeah there's quite a few i've been kind of using a few where you know you start off a bit grim or you know he'll do one that's a bit like an ammo and you'll talk about you know the one that went down quite well was a pullback and removal thing and it going out and seeing the world and then basically turning around and going fuck this for a living and pisses off back and that kind of comes down quite well because you know people think it's great because you're sort of referencing stuff but yeah that's quite interesting have you done the poetry nights in london no i sort of um not really just just kind of logistics <laughs> again there i mean i get you know there's quite a big poetry scene in brighton and i know a few of the brighton lots i'm not particularly keen on the um the slam aspect of it and that kind of you know the uh, uh, going out sort of competition poetry i don't think i'm not probably too scared of not not going down well too sensitive an ego but yeah, as I say, this year was the year I was going to really go for it. I mean, God, my last gig, which was in this tiny little pub in Shoreham, um, Henry Normal came along to. I sort of befriended me and Henry Normal became friends on um, Twitter. Um, and he came along to this the last gig I was at, just specifically to watch me, because uh, we'd been sort of chatting. So in theory, it was that point where you kind of going, okay, I'm at that point now where maybe, you know, I'm sort of growing my sort of base as a sort of, uh, through Twitter and growing it with the potential of getting out into the Brighton scene. He was talking about doing a Brighton festival. Uh, he's, a, he's part of an art centre. Um, you know, so it was just getting to that point where I was kind of stepping my toes into kind of going for a bit more seriously, trying to make money out of it. You know, ideally I'd like to be at that point. Well, that was where I was hoping was to be making more money. You know, the plan was at the end of last year was to get to the point where I'm earning a decent day's wage two or three times a month in poetry as opposed to going out doing tree surgery okay yeah. and sort of so i was getting close and then all this malarkey kicked in and it's like okay <laughs> i'll just carry on so you you wanted to build to the point where you could make maybe make a living out of being a poet yeah writing more than poetry but poetry yeah i mean i'd like to you know the book sells not particularly well but i don't think books sell particularly well but it, it buys us coffee once or twice a year um, and obviously having a new book coming out, the idea would be that having a bigger Twitter profile, you know, um, would have probably helped sales um, and sort of getting into that sort of scene. Um, but yeah, ideally, I'd like to find a way of, of earning money through writing, through, you know, specifically sort of poetry. But again, it's a bit like a, you know, um, have you heard of Brian Bilston? Who's, he's a... Sorry. No, well, he's he's known as the um, uh, poet laureate of Twitter. So he's got um, and he's he's just had his first novel out, and basically he came down our way. And I was sort of chatting with him when we put on a gig down here. We came and did his book tour, and basically he's he got a publisher through Twitter through his um, through his poetry. But basically the publisher sort of went, you, you don't make money out of poetry. Write a novel. So he wrote a novel with poems in it. So you know, there's not really money in poetry. Um, Ooh, what's his name, Brian? Brian Bilston. Brian Bilston. B I L S T O N. Bilston. Okay, let's have a look. Share the screen. Brian Bilston. There you go. 
That's the man. Whoa. Where's he up to? 73,500 followers. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's massive. Um, so, yeah, Diary of the Sunbook, Somebody is the book he's created, which he was up for a Costa with it, first book prize. So, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, he's really, he's, yeah, he's, um, yeah, he's, po- he's very good. I mean, his poetry is brilliant. It's kind of like black belt poetry, basically. There's lots of kind of takes a song and he'll change the lyrics or sort of pastiches or pastiches and working within sort of, you know, breaking the form of it and stuff like that. Very, yeah, really clever man. Is he French? Does he speak French? No, this is no, French. he does. He's a, he's a English man, just kind of, he hides behind a facade of kind of Brian Bilston. It's not his real name. Ah, okay. But yeah. It's funny to see that little bit of French here. Yeah, I think that's a, a art school reference, isn't it? There's something about that kind of, this is not a thing. But yeah. Okay. Uh, that's interesting. So how, how yeah. does sort of poetry in sort of, how does, so you're, you're sort of, I would say a creative writer in a way. That's, that's, that's your thing. Yeah. You know wanking on about myself in artistic ways, yes. So, so how does uh, wank, how does the wanking about yourself in artistic <laughs> ways work? <laughs> uh, yes, really good. Uh, good question. Uh, yeah, I mean, I do. The stuff that go, you know, there's, there's, I suppose there's two aspects, isn't it? For me, there's the therapeutic side of it. You know, part of it, I got back into writing uh when did i get when i I found myself uh writing poetry again sort of eight ten years ago one after my mum died and then i was uh, a funeral of a mate um who killed himself and i just found myself writing again so actually i've started the, the writing again for sort of therapeutic reasons to sort of get it out and um process the stuff and then it kind of transmits. So there's sort of for me, there's two aspects really. There's the one which is the kind of okay, something's wrong. Let's write about that, and then we'll maybe heal that problem. And then there's the other bit, which is the um, writing a pebble poem. You know, I can write you something that will be really inspiring, and all people will really like. And there's that real sort of that aspect of actually that I wrote one the other week. Um, uh, that was a mix between the both. I went, part of me, you know, part of what people want now is people want to be inspired and given hope. And I think that's part of what um, any form of uh, writing can do. Um, So actually, you know, we need to, we need to be looking for what we're thankful for. So I wrote this one, which is called um, um, things I promised, things, things I promise uh, when this is over, uh, this I promise not to forget. So it's all about the things that I promise that I'm not going to forget. So all about, you know, shopping locally, um, the valuing nurses, um, people who've actually businesses that have survived by being nice and the people who haven't survived, who've survived by not being nice. And then eventually I got to that point where um, I wrote the bit about I'm not going to forget the carer who cleared up my dad's mess and the A&E people who took my dad in and the people who are looking after my dad. So there's a real mix within that that you know 
it's a 30 line poem and 24 of those lines are just what people like to hear and there's buried within that are six lines of me just writing out about me feeling helpless and defensive and not being able to uh, help my dad which is what I want to do and actually that worked out really like well it got lots of really good feedback and then you kind of you know so it's kind of actually I think probably the way that works best is you're showing a little bit of yourself which then other people can can see and I think that's kind of what people are looking for so actually I think there's a kind of an element of we look for the minutiae in life and that will help everyone else um heal themselves or you know maybe it's interesting because no I did a lot of things you said I didn't I, I know nothing about poetry but you've in, you've enlightened me with a few things of poetry already yeah. um how because I've, I've seen a few poetry mics in a few different shows but I mean I hear some things about there being like a BBC competition for poetry and this and that and like how, how does it how does it yeah I don't know how you're supposed to judge it really Apart from I think most other people are shit and I'm really good, but I mean, I'm assuming that's just what everyone else thinks about their own poems. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I don't, I mean, that's what, yeah, I mean, I, I I'm go to quite a few of those nights and there's lots of people there who are doing, I mean, there's so many different ways of doing it, so I don't know how you judge it. Um, you know, I think the essence of it is you need to represent it, it, for me it's non-conventional writing isn't it the advantage of a poem is i can i can put the concept of thanking everyone by just repeating the phrase thank you with a bit at the end and that becomes a poem as opposed to a, a, a an essay or a song or a story which would have to be less so with songs but there's more conventional forms of writing isn't there so uh, it's just how it's just neat. maybe I'm just lazy. I, I don't have to write long poem, long long form stuff. I don't have to come up with too many words. But I think it's about taking the essence of an idea and squeezing it into. Ideally, if you can squeeze it into you know a very small, manageable section that people can represent, then you're then you're finding that really, you know. But then there's other people out there who just like to make lots of really rhymy, funny poems, and people seem to like that. Yeah, how does how does that work? Because I've been to a few of them. You, I'll, I'll be crying with some poets, and then others would be having me laugh a lot. And I'm like, how come they're not doing stand-up comedy? And it's a bit. Yeah, well, you look at there's lots of them who do get into it, don't they? The Brian Bilston gig I saw, which was him reading his book, was like an hour long set where he was reading his poems, but it was very much like watching him do an hour long sort of stand-up show, you know. Um, and I, I mean, I just got tickets to go see Henry Normal um, gig in Brighton, who's brilliant. Um, and I mean, obviously, you, you know Henry Normal, do you? Are you aware of who he is? I, I don't. I'm, I'm an open book. I don't know anything. Okay, Henry Normal. Uh, do you know the comedy of the '90s? So, uh, Royal Family. Uh, oh, he, I guess yes. So he's basically Baby Cow Productions with with um, Steve. Alan Partridge basically um so yeah a lot of he did all he did all the comedy he's been around as he's a poet but he was also a producer a writer and a comedian so he sort of script edited the royal family and um he just did all of the comedy that we know um and 
my brain's gone dead but yeah i mean basically he's now a a poet and i was just about to go see his gig and he was an hour-long gig and you just got an hour and a half sort of show and you think actually that's really interesting when you've got a full gig to do poetry because you can take people from a lot of his stuff he talks about is um very funny because obviously he's a very funny man but then also he's talking about his life and he's very open-hearted and talks about he's got some autism and he talks about that and then you see his beauty and stuff like that so that's really fascinating is being able to um take people on the journey basically you know so i think that's quite interesting you know that you can you can do all of that you know a bit like going to see stuart lee i imagine you know where you go on a full sort of journey of everything he is an incredible. I've seen a few interviews and I've seen a bit of a stand-up, but I've never really watched enough of him. But I do. I will get into him. He is good, and he is. A, like, he reminds me of a lot of American comics. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Uh, if you get a chance, if we ever leave our own houses again, his latest uh, stand-up tour is amazing. I mean, it's just. Um, yeah. Absolutely. The man is I mean, it's so hack, isn't it? On a podcast saying Steve <laughs> saying that Stuart Lee's a genius, but he is. But yeah, he's uh, he does a um, there's a ten minute bit in his latest bit where he does um, he talks about saying the unsayable when he's talking about um, what's his name from Afterlife, um, and it's just just brilliant. And it, but it's like again, he's kind of high end kind of comedy theory of taking you from one place to another and dragging you back down you know i've not really i mean his wife bridget christie i hear she's she's quite similar to him in a way yeah i think i've seen her saw her stand-up show because it's on netflix um i think they're very similar styles Hmm. yeah but um yeah i mean again yeah i mean it's i suppose that's kind of it's kind of very yeah, and obviously there's a lot more sort of a political bent, which maybe I'm biased because I like a bit of political stuff as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, how long have you been doing comedy? Uh, well, now I think about six years. Been a well, yeah, I've been doing, been gigging up and down the country, different places, gigged here and there. Um, but yeah, I'm probably not gonna when this is all over. I'll probably move back to France. So right. What were you doing out there? Golia. And I was so you finish off the Golia? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that should take you into, you'll become a clown, whatever you become, once he's stripped you away and turned you into something. Well, that's at the moment, um, one of the weak parts of my act has always been the material as a whole. But I mean, often when I fail at things on stage, that's why I got much bigger laughs. So that's why I did Golia. So, right. Well, I want to go back there. I want to enhance that and then um, work on my material, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, is it you doing shorter sets? Have you, have you ever done longer shows? Or yeah, you I did now show um, last year in Edinburgh. Yeah. Oh, brilliant! It was it was all right, but I mean the bits that went well were when I was clowning, which is one of the reasons why I went to the school rather than the material <laughs> itself. And yeah. it's funny with Edinburgh because they have very big standards. Like a lot of jokes that I've seen people do in London, which gets big laughs, won't work in Edinburgh. Like right. they're a lot more stricter and they want a lot more. Right. I've seen a lot, yeah. of, a lot of comedians that would do really well in London do very m- meagre in Edinburgh. Like they'll do yeah. okay, but they wouldn't do anything spectacular. And there's maybe only a handful of shows that really stood out during the fringe. 
Yeah. So was that last year? Yeah. Right. Yeah. God. Yeah. I did. I went to Edinburgh as a tech support 20, 30 years ago. Oh God, I'm old. And that was, uh, yeah. God. Yeah. I mean, it must've changed so much by then, but yeah. Uh, I remember seeing uh, Jack D. Oh, I can't remember what I went to see, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's hard going to Edinburgh, isn't it? It's hard to... How much money did you lose? Uh, not enough, really, but it's... <laughs> not enough to be successful. You've got to lose at least 20 grand before you make money out of Edinburgh. Oh, it's a funny thing you say that, because all of the ones that got good reviews were all in one venue. And it was the Pleasants uh, last year. And they're all right. oh. big agencies and they're all paid shows. That was that was an interesting thing in a way. Yeah. yeah. Right. And were you doing the um, Pay What You Want concept? Yeah. Right. I mean, that's amazing. That's completely changed sort of what Edinburgh's turned into, hasn't it? It's made it more interesting. But I, I mean, I only went for a run last year. I mean, it's... it's it's funny with Edinburgh, it, it's people go in with hopes and dreams and like, oh, I don't know, I think some people just go to Edinburgh Fringe just for the sake of going, they don't go with any specific purpose in terms of them, whether it's going to help them or not, or whether they're not, they're not clear being logic, they just do it because everyone else is doing it sometimes, I feel. Right. Yeah, yeah, well it used to be a, a gateway into success, didn't it? Well, it's definitely not now because there's like so many more performers and so many more comedians with the idea yeah. that it's that. But it does give you the chance to network with a lot of different people. Like there was a big comedy promoter from New Zealand. <laughs> he came with his kids and they asked if they, they could sit with me because I was sat on the edge. And I said, yeah, sure. Yeah. And I moved in. And then he yeah. saw me look at my notepad and he realised that I was a comedian. <laughs> yeah. And then he gave me his business card and then his um and then his then when I was about to go, him and his wife paid for my coffee, which was a bit funny. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't get the get the tour out to New Zealand then? Oh no, if I if I go in there I'll probably email him and he'll I mean yeah. he'll remember me. It's we'll see what happens. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, I think kind of um I suppose it's hard to make money out of anything creative, really, isn't it? Without, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how you do it, really. But, um, performing arts is a lot like America in that when people are rich, they're very rich and they're treated like a king. Um, yes. But if you're at the other end, you are treated like dog shit. Yes. Yes. And expected to do it for very little money. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. You have an interesting story, though. You 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 get Justin Morehouse to read your poems. Is that right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. I'm gonna just maybe turn the light on. Hold it one sec. Is that oh, is that gonna be too bright? No, no, no. Cool. Um, yeah. Weirdly. So as I say, I work out work outside, um, and I've been listening to his podcast. Is random, sort of. So it's, uh, about 35 minutes, no more, more than 45. It's called, and it's all just. Um, He'd been doing it on and off. And I was just, as I say, um, he started that one week. He just sort of went, oh, I'm going to start doing Poetry Corner. Um, and he read out a poem. So I just emailed him whilst stopped working. I was cutting a hedge at the time. Stopped cutting a hedge. And I just went, 
I may not, as you know, I just use that line on so with you that I may not be any good, but at least I'm available. Here's a poem. I'll be your pod. I think I called myself pod laureate, which is awful and it's stuck for a while. Um, and then, um, so I've just, just email him in. I mean, it's very random. His podcasts are sort of very, don't come out very often, but, um, he, um, yeah. So he, he, I send him an email every so often, never get an answer back. And then he'll, his podcast will drop down. And most, if I've sent one in, he'll generally read it out. I did send one the other day. It was a bit depressing. Um, but he didn't read that out. So I sent him a more positive one. And I did that one. Things we need to, things I promise to remember, whatever, when this is over thing, I sent him that and he sort of read that one out. So, yeah. So it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's nice. That's quite good. I mean, again, it's, it's, it, it, I don't write specifically for that. I'll just, if I've written something, I'll, I'll send it him, you know? Um, and again, if it's any good, I'll say, I'd try not to just send out dross. Uh, just because it's a bit rubbish. <laughs> you, you don't want to produce. You don't. You don't want to be like a YouTube vlogger where they just produce absolute shite. <laughs> yes, just to get myself out there. I mean, I'll do that if it if it pays. You know, if I get a coffee out of it, I'll do that. But you know, apart from that, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, I I try and try and write stuff that's actually you know good, but that's probably. That's only my judgment on that, really. I mean, it's all a bit random what people I think is good or not. I could say I can put a poem out on Twitter and it will be an absolute flop, and then I'll do another one that I think is a bit rubbish, and then you know it'll go down well. So it's very hard to judge. I suppose you just got to write what you want to write. You know, it helps if you write a poem with your dad and you say, "Oh, my dad's got COVID. Here's a poem about that," because you kind of get a good sympathy vote. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, people love it. <laughs> But yeah, so that's quite interesting. That's good. I mean, that's quite a sort of interesting sort of fun thing to do is every so often just sort of send him an email when the next, when he's put his next podcast up because it's so random that you sort of forget to do it. So how does he get a regular base if he's not doing it regularly? Um, well, I think he's sort of fairly, I don't know how he did. Well, I mean, I suppose people are subscribed, aren't they? So it's just, I mean, he was fairly regularly, regularly doing it probably once every couple of weeks. Um, but then he's been quite regular the last couple of weeks because obviously he's got nothing else to do. Mm. So, but yeah, there's lots of podcasts that drop by the wayside, isn't there? There's always a feeling that from an outsider's point of view, it seems to be, you know, most, yeah, it's quite a good way in of getting into comedy by doing a podcast now, isn't it? So, you're on that podcast sort of group that I'm on. What, what sort of a comedy podcast devotees? What made you get into that? And like... uh, well, as I say, I'm sort of working outside, so I sort of uh, otherwise I end up listening to the same four album, albums over and over again. So I sort of got into podcasts through that. I mean, I've got. I remember originally doing the Adam and Joe stuff, uh, listening to Adam and Joe years ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, I suppose I started off, how did I get into, I think I randomly found Stuart, Gold, Stuart Goldsmith's one, The Comedian's Comedian, uh, oh, because very it's very good. I think actually good. I got into it through, because I'm uh, listening to a lot of the Richard Herring stuff. So I used to listen to the Collins and Herring, Collins and Herring uh, podcasts, and then Richard Herring, the Rehearsed Poe and stuff like that. And I think he interviewed... Stuart Goldsmith interviewed Richard Herring. So then I got into the Comedians Comedians stuff and that was amazing. So I sort of went back to the beginning and listened to all of those. 
Mm. And that's good. I mean, it's, it, in the old, in the early days, it was very technical how you write process, and now it's just sort of general interview stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. It's, it's. I, I've, I was watching it before. And I've been watching yeah. it, see it like four or five different podcasts, but I've gone off the Richard Herring one because I feel it's just. I don't feel I learn anything from it. So I'm a bit like I'm not gonna I'm gonna stop watching it now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I again, I suppose the difference between him and Stuart Lee, I think they're very similar because obviously they worked together, didn't they? Um, I've seen him a few times. I mean, it's quite interesting how, getting them for free. I don't. I'm not, you know, particularly got a lot of money, so I haven't ever donated. So I will when people come down here. I'll go and see. Definitely go see Richard Herring because you know. I like his Me One versus Me Two snooker, and um, Rahulas the Power I really like. And actually, I think his live stuff's really good. Um, and he's actually very good at spontaneously being quite funny, uh, which I really like. Um, so yeah, you know, I think when he reads, it, he's very similar again, like Bridget Christie and Stuart Lee. They're very similar, very similar humour, but it feels like Stuart Lee can. When I've seen Stuart Lee. I can see him do the same thing four times and it feels like he's doing the same thing for the first time for you. Whereas Richard Herring feels like he's reading a script. Whereas if I see him doing a Rehanos de Per, it's just fucking brilliant. And he will give people space. So he's very much based on who the, um, who he's interviewing, I think, you know. So if he's interviewing uh, David Mitchell and a lot of people who are actually very funny, he'll let them have space. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's, it's not the, he's had some really good ones. Like David yeah. Mitchell was really good. David like Mitchell was very good. Julian Cleary, he was quite funny. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But again, when he gets people, I know he was doing a big thing about um, Brian Blessed. And I thought the Brian Blessed one was just painful because it was just Brian Blessed being an egotistical git, and I just thought there was no there was no space for anyone else. But he's good at giving people space. I think his interview style is brilliant for that. But. Um, but I don't feel it's good entertainment. It's all right, but I don't feel. I just it feels so. Some of them have been good, but recently yeah. I've decided that as I've got a lot of time to watch yes. the podcast, I've decided that I'm not going to watch the podcast because it's just I don't feel I gain that much from it. So that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, that's more kind of just in you know he can delve deep into some interesting stuff. But yeah, a lot of time it can be quite frivolous and flippant. I like um, the Bugle and Alice Frazier's one. Do you do the Alice Frazier's, um, the last post, which is a daily one? Alice. I think she's very good. Alice Frazier. Alice Frazier. Yeah, Fraser, I think. Um, I'm going to just disappear off screen because the windows are open. I'm getting cold and we're getting midges in the house. So hopefully the reception will carry on. But it's it's yeah. You know, there's 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 about four or five that I watch. So Mark Maron is pretty good. Yeah. Oh, you're very good. Do you like listening to Americans? I'm not very good at listening to Americans. Um, I'm not really fussed as long as I can. It's I can learn from it and it's something that's useful. Because I actually no, my two favourite podcasts are Hot Boxing and True Geordie. And True. Hold one sec. I've run out. Of, I've run out of reception near my window. Carry on. Sorry, Mark Maron. And True Geordie. I don't know then. Okay. True Geordie is a big uh, Newcastle man and he interviews lots of famous people and he's, well, he's influenced by Joe Rogan, but yeah, he's, he's very okay. good. Uh, Joe Rogan's a podcast. It's good. He's got, he's got the yeah. best guests, but occasionally it goes on too long. 
whilst yeah. doing Mike Tyson's hotboxing and Chew Geordie's podcast, they normally about an hour or two, which I yeah. think is good. Any more than that, then it gets a bit much. So, yeah, absolutely. You need, yeah, sometimes they do go on a long, a long time. I was the one whose um, distraction pieces I could never get on with. Um, I think he does some really interesting interviews, but again, it's kind of some of them are a bit more. I don't know. It's the ones that have got, you know, if you've got a 10 minute introduction before the actual interview starts, it feels a bit like kind of uh, yes. doing it for the right reasons. Mm, that's the thing. Yeah. Mark Maron has that bit, but I just skip past the 10 minute bit. I ignore that. And I get to the... <laughs> just get straight to the good stuff. But Adam Buxton's good. I like his podcasts. But again, I suppose these are people I comedy wise, I sort of grew up with. So you feel a bit like kind of I've, I've heard them for a long time have you ever listened to Potom? this is the one i always say i think it's completely different um which is a sort of possibly an hour and a half to two hours worth of three dry guys talking rubbish and then doing surreal and offensive sketches hmm. um Potom, p-o-t-o-m and that's i don't normally listen to that sort of stuff but that's just brilliant and not one out for a very long time um, but that's very funny. Bottom podcast, bottom. bottom. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you do um, the horn section as well. Do you listen to that? No, I've not heard of that one. Horn section. No, that's, yeah, that's Alex Horn. And that sort of music, music and comedy. Mm, it's, it's funny. What what's, what has made sort of podcasts so popular now? What what? Because I, I remember I used to watch Jonathan Moss and some of these other things, but now I think, yeah, I just what's what's brought this big surge in podcasts? Do you think? Well, I, I, th- I, th- I like it because it's sort of independent, isn't it? Really, and it's sort of it doesn't seem to be. I know they've got adverts and stuff like that, but it doesn't seem to be that kind of. Um, there's a freedom to do what you want to do. Mm. Um, and I think that's kind of makes it quite interesting. It's a bit like kind of the wild west of sort of comedy and you can kind of have stuff that can be conventional interview format and then you can have stuff like the beef and dairy network which is just sketch show sort of weirdness which is a kind of surreal world um so yeah i mean it's i mean i, I love it for someone who has spends eight to eight hours a day working outside it's really amazing to be able to have a week's worth of stuff each week i very rarely run out on my sort of podcast list of things to listen to mm. in fact now i haven't got as much work it's just stacking itself up and you kind of feel yeah. you're missing out and yeah. stuff That's you know, what I, was, I was obsessively listening to um oh who's it i'm gonna, I'm gonna have to refer to my my tech now um who's the one who's on every day there's a couple of daily ones which are coming out at the start of the year which you think wow it's brilliant but now i suppose people aren't really getting enough chance uh, the Rob Orton Daily Podcast is a poet who's quite funny. He's starting to do a lot of stand-up as well, sort of comedy and poetry. He does one every day. And I was listening to that at the start of the year, every day. And now it's really hard to kind of, if I've only got sort of less time, you know, yeah, it's hard to kind of prioritise what you do listen to. Mm. You know, and there is a lot, and it's really hard to kind of pick, pick stuff up. Mm. But, yeah. But it's a funny thing, though. Everyone's doing a podcast now, especially in comedy. Some yeah. comedians I know are setting up a podcast. But I feel sometimes in these podcast things, they're just doing it for the sake of doing it rather than there being much thought behind it. Yeah, it feels like 
it's a way of getting, you know, I think Richard Herring's obviously created a career out of it. Whereas, you know, I think he's making more money out touring the podcast. I think you'd make, you know, no such thing as a fish. Certainly when people come down this way, I saw no such thing as a fish sold out one of the biggest venues in Brighton. For not not the massive, not the biggest, but pretty big one. Um, and obviously, you know, you can make money out of it. And I, I suppose it's good at promote, it's free promotion, isn't it? From a, yeah. from everyone else's point of view. And, it, you know, when those days of touring ever come back, I suppose it's a free way of getting into people and saying, showing them that you can, you're getting to an audience without having to promote it that much. Hmm. You know, I mean, BBC recently have been really good at cracking out podcasts. I saw that you've got um, Louis Theroux's new one's quite quite a good little podcast. Have you heard that? Grounded. Yeah, he's just done one on uh, on BBC Sounds, where it's a normal podcast called Grounded, where he's just interviewed people. So he just interviewed Boy George. Uh, he interviewed John Ronson, which is really fascinating because obviously they're quite similar career wise. That was quite interesting to hear them talk to each other. What? Why? Why? Why did they get Louis Theroux to do all these weird, like, like documentaries? Why do they pick him? What is it that is look and behaviour that makes him meet all these fucked up people? It's amazing, isn't it? Well, I think he started off doing the um, Mike. What's his name? The guy out in America, the Fahrenheit nine one one guy. I think he worked with him in the early days. So obviously, that's how he got into making documentaries i mean it helps if your dad's a famous writer as well doesn't it that you oh, okay. put yourself in <laughs> oh i didn't know that okay yeah his dad's pull through who's written loads of stuff um so yeah but yeah i mean but i mean louis three's got obviously got an interesting take on life and he, he does appeal going to those people it's more interesting i think when he goes to meet a bunch of fascists and queer bashers than going to meet mm. famous celebrities I think he's kind of gone down that way. Uh, it's interesting because they put out, I hadn't noticed he'd interviewed the Tiger King guy a couple of years ago. So that was back on iPlayer. Oh. Um, yeah, so he'd interviewed, what's, whatever his name is, the Tiger King, I think in 2016. So that was just on, I watched that before I watched Tiger King. So I kind of watched that and was a bit like, okay. And then you sort of Tiger King out and everyone was going crazy for it. And you go, I've seen that already on the telly. He kind what's of knew the story. What's the Sorry? Big, what's the big thing about him? What, the Tiger King? I think people like it because he's sort of weird and eccentric and there's lots of, there's that kind of crime bit. Have you watched it yet? Have you managed I've to resist? Ten minutes of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that freak show telly, I think, really, isn't it? Because he looks weird and, you know, He's got that kind of gun-toting cowboy gay thing, which obviously people think is a bit strange, which is a bit strange because he's not a normal character. And I mean, they did, I sort of stuck with it. I watched it with my wife and she gave up quite early on. I think she managed to halfway through the first series episode and then we sort of gave up and I kind of watched a bit of it um, and I stuck with it. But yeah, I mean, it's that freak show telly, I think, really. Yeah. Just watching someone being really strange and then weird characters he seems to surround himself with. Mm. So when's your podcast coming out? So I'm working out that I'm probably, I'll start uploading, editing all of this stuff um, from next week and I'll start uploading it then. I'm going to get the designs, I plan plan to get the designs finished by next week as well. So I'm starting them now. 
I've, so yeah, you're going to do it, single interviews or how, what's the format? I think the thing that's really annoying with these things is getting the right design as a pain in the neck. I've had a few silly ones and I've had to, I didn't pay them yet, but it's just that they wasted my time with a lot of rubbish. So. No. Um, no, it's, yeah, I, I, I've, I, I've enjoyed doing them so far, actually. I've done, I've recorded about maybe 20, I think. Wow. And I like, it's, it's interesting. I like listening to podcasts and I like talking to people on them. I feel like I learn yeah. a lot from both. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, you're saying things about the books. Like a lot of the time, the things that I need to know are often on the internet. Also, yeah. You take maybe a few days to get what you need to get to. Whilst if you go on the internet, it's already there. So why would you yeah, spend absolutely. all those, those days reading a book to get that information? Yeah, true. Yeah, you should chat with my 14-year-old son. I was trying to convince him to read a book only yesterday. <laughs> he told me he can see it on YouTube. It's true, though. <laughs> it's, it's very... It's very... I know, I know. But there's something about, you know, there's something about having a book. But yeah, I know. It adds depth. So if, if you're reading a topic and you want to find it interesting, you can use YouTube made to find a key point of it and then you read a book to expand on it. But yeah, if you want to learn something new, it's better just to go online and do it. Yeah, yeah. I suppose so. I'd much rather people had my book in their hands that was on their bookshelf than just on their Kindle. Well, all that's just my, my um, egotism. Yes. Well, let's see what happens. I mean, <laughs> books are still being sold, but you order, order bib, what, have you got it in audio? What's it called? Audio Bible or? Uh, oh, what my, my, I think they can get it as a Kindle and that's about it really. I've never got around to recording it. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. The, the world, yeah, it's so different now and it's going to be so different. Well, on, on Sunday, once we're told how we're going to be released by Boris Johnson, everything will be so different by Monday, won't it? But I think future-wise, it'd be really interesting to see where we, where we end up and how, how we end up, really. I mean, that's what's fascinating, isn't it? That we're, we're living in history at the moment. And, you know, it's going to be so redefined, you know, I think. Or maybe we'll just revert back to bland. What what you what your plans for yourself once things are better? What are you planning to? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to. I need to think about what I'm going to do about the next book, which should be quite interesting. Because whether I just carry on, I've got the books there. It's just needing. I haven't had time to finish the the sort of the final read through and check the punctuation. I've been arguing with my um my publisher about punctuation whether poetry needs punctuation or not. So we're at, we're at an, unpa an impasse where he's put some poetry, so put some punctuation in, I need to take it out. But I just kind of don't know if people, do you, yeah, it seems really odd to suddenly print, a, publish a book that's got poems about Brexit and stuff that will have a completely redefined world. So maybe, yeah, we'll see. But um, yeah, I'd like to get the book out. I'd like to get back into schools and be going out teaching and doing workshops and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I'm getting on now, so I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to be able to carry on working outside and have a physical physical job. So that would be nice. We're, uh, there's a couple of, we're looking at trying to set up an art centre in the community where I'm at. I'd like to be sort of running that and managing that as well and just trying to kind of organise gigs down here. You know, so that's quite interesting. 
But yeah, you just don't know what, how long that's going to be, really. I mean, you're probably not, when mass gatherings aren't going to be around for probably another three or four months, are they? So, no. So, what happens to you? I mean, assuming you were, how do you, oh, so you're going back to France, or at least you've got the, the you put your put off the career for a bit longer, as in because you're carrying on. But yeah, it'd be interesting. Uh, not in a way. In a way, it's it's actually been good for me for this. I've, I've thought yeah. of um, because I got more time. There's a lot of things I want to do whilst I was at Goli and doing different things that I couldn't do. Yeah. Now I've got a lot of time to think of different things and lots of other things because I have been quite busy during the whole Corona thing. It's, it's nice. So I've been learning French, and ironically, my French is better now than it was when I was in France, because <laughs> everyone in there speaks English. And right. um, oh, there's a whole list of things. So it's it's yeah, it's giving me lots of it's been yeah, it's strange for me in a way. It's giving me lots of things to do. So yeah, France is unlocking, isn't it? My brother lives out there, so I was speaking to him today, and he's saying that they're about to release it a bit. He's in um, Brittany, so he's saying that, that his bit of France is quite not got it too bad. So they're being released a bit quicker than everyone else. Um, that'd be interesting. I'm assuming you're in Paris, were you? No, I was in Etomps, which was on the outskirts of France, well near Paris, but not in it. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see. Yeah. No, I think yeah, it's an interesting time. I think people. I think people are having to evolve and move and change quite rapidly. And, um, you know, I think kind of people are, people are looking, I don't know, I think maybe people weren't particularly keen on the system that we had and actually the thought of having to go back when people are certainly over here where people are being paid, my neighbours who getting paid to stay at home and spend time, you know, sort of really appreciating that so it'd be interesting it'd be a really interesting time yeah that's that's interesting so you, you said you're building an art center that that sounds that sounds exciting well, it'd like i'd like to we've been looking for, for funding to get it sort of up and running we have a we have a festival this place this place is called stenning where i live and we have um uh, an arts festival once every two years that's been going for about sort of eight ten years now um and we have lots of pubs and we have a sort of um a sort of uh, a center which is where the parish council is and with a theater space but it's rubbish we don't have any performance so we've got pubs where you can do sort of gigs i do a bit of music with mates and you can play to 20 people or you can play to 50 people but there isn't a specific venue that's any good for you know, 200 people really um so when we had brian bilston came down it was the first time we'd been down to sussex way so we sold 50 tickets for this gig in this beautiful little um sort of uh, studio and we probably could have sold two 250 um but obviously we didn't have anywhere so when we have a festival every two years they get a massive marquee and and um, they fill it up for two weeks um or normally a month actually i think they've gone down to five days Something like that. But yeah, the idea would be that we need a venue that can sustain, you know, with an art centre and a gallery and a, a cafe and recording studios for the kids and stuff like that. So that was the plan. And we're quite lucky. We've got a few uh, few people with money around that might fund it. 
um, and looking at getting some art center funding. But um, so the plan was, we started thinking about it. I started thinking about it uh, four or five years ago, and then we were forced to move out of the house we were in. So I had to move and I put it on hold. And then this year was again the year I thought, oh, we'll get that done. And then this has kicked in. So we've canceled the festival this year. Um, so I kind of think, you know, I'm not sure there's going to be a spare two million to set up an art centre uh, when uh, people are just trying to sort of breathe and eat. So we'll see. But yeah, I mean, that would be really nice. I'd like to get into that because, again, it's nice to be able to put on gigs and have a bit of control over those gigs and be able to. I think if you run the art centre and you manage the art centre, they can't stop you performing at that point. So, you know, I'll have a, you know, pending audience. So do you run it yourself with a group of... Uh, what, the centre? No, the festival. The festival. The uh, I, I, I kind of do as I always do, which is run around and be an ego and shout about it and get lots of publicity. So I don't do any of the admin. We, I run... Um, we do one. We do one day festival there where we get loads of musicians together and put on a beer festival, beer and wine festival, and get everyone together and put on a free gig for a day. Um, and then, so I do that, and then I'll sort of take part in a few of the poetry events. So I was a part of it originally when it got set up, and then I sort of just do my own stuff. But um, I've done a couple of um, one, two, two or four years ago. I did a, an interview for for them. They have the we have a brilliant bookshop um, that brings get sort of lots of really good people down. So I managed to interview Sarah Pascoe, which is really good. Um, yeah. So um, so yeah, I kind of just do a few little events that I can take part in. I haven't really got time sort of to do stuff like that, but. You know, chuck my ego around and people think I'm involved and then when you go around going you need an art centre they think you've actually got power and influence because really I'm just a raging egotist I'll show you something and then, I'll share my screen and I think I'm going to head off I'm going to get some dinner okay. but um, let me show Angel Comedy was created in 2010 in this room above a pub in London. It was created because we love comedy and we wanted to create a lovely gig because there are so many terrible gigs out there. You know, we've all been to them where there's like three people in the audience and there's a TV on in the corner. We wanted to create not that. So we created not that. We created this. Who is it? Angel Comedy was created to be a lovely, London. friendly... Oh, Angel of Yeah. And I think that's what it is, right? Yes! Yes! And crucially, and most importantly, it is and always will be free. Goodbye, everyone. Bye! It started off as just one night and then more and more people showed up basically now it's like seven nights a week and it hosts everyone people doing their first gig to literally some of the biggest acts in the uk it's a huge success we're comedians we're not used to so oh barry um I was, yes. I was just thinking why doesn't angel comedy get its own venue yes <laughs> that's a great idea but in fact to be honest, I was just actually 
Thank you. I think we are almost there. Almost there, right? Right? <laughs> <laughs> home, angel comedy can have a future and can dare to dream. A teaching training workshop room. A free-to-use podcast studio. Working with local schools. A venue for community projects. Right, guys? Barry, it's good to dream, but we need chairs. Lights. Sound. <laughs> a stage. stage. Working aircon. The, the roof needs fixing. fixing. Whatever this So, did, yeah, so you could do a Kickstarter campaign or something. Yeah, there's lots of, um, we've, yeah, there's so many ideas around, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's it's working within a new way. I think kind of kickstartings, um, as well as sort of arts funding. Yeah, kickstarting would be uh, interesting. We do have Julia Donaldson living in the town as well, which might be quite handy. But I don't really think she's just she's bought, just bought our local post office, so it's kept that going. So I don't think she's got money spare for setting up an arts centre. But yeah, so yeah, it's really interesting. But yeah, no, it's fascinating. Were you involved in that at all? Uh, not really. I mean, I, I gave a couple of quid here and there, if you call that involvement, but that's about it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, know it's fascinating. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, it's just sort of for me, you know, as I'm getting on, it's kind of about just trying to find a way to make money that um, doesn't involve putting myself in stupid risks and hurting my back, which is generally what tree surgery does. So it's just trying to find ways to uh, and being creative. I think that's you know, and keeping the soul alive. I suppose that's quite a, quite a good thing to do, isn't it? Really, yeah. expressing oneself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we, we've reached. Uh, we've reached. Uh... <laughs> we've reached an endpoint. Excellent. Oh well, cheers, man. Thanks for the interview. I find it really interesting. Yeah, thanks for coming along. It's been. It's been, it's been an interesting chat, and yeah, I've learned a lot about poetry that I didn't know about, and. Absolutely. Well, I'll keep an eye out for you. Let us know when it's um. All the stuff's coming out anyway, and I'll, I'll sort of download it. And as I say, I've got at least 1.6 people who actually listen to me on Twitter, and I'm sure I can share it as well. Yeah, every little helps. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, absolutely. All right, well, good luck with the editing of it and everything, and I look forward to seeing it, man. And yeah, um, best of luck with your dad. Hope he gets better. Yeah, cheers, man. Thanks a lot, and good luck with Goliath. Cool. Thank you. Take care. All right, good night. It's the awkward bit where we leave now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>